Well, one person who has been using his gifts in new ways these last few weeks is uh, is one of the young adults of the church. Ryan Pratt was was incredibly helpful in the first couple weeks of, of the pandemic and sheltering in place as we were trying to figure out what technology we needed in order to, to gather virtually and to, to continue worshiping together. Ryan Pratt was a was a big help. And Ryan Pratt has, has started to shift his attention in another direction. The last couple weeks, Ryan Pratt has been taking on more and more responsibilities for leading our youth ministry in the church. Ryan now is is helping to lead and put together our virtual youth group gatherings each week. We are so grateful for Ryan's presence. We're so thankful for his gifts and his ministry among us right now. And this morning, this morning I've invited Ryan to, to share a scripture reading. Open your heart and listen for God's voice as Ryan shares with us a passage from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. Good morning, Court Streeters. I will be reading Philippians 4, 2-9 out of the New International Version. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Sintish, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. Whatever you may have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So not long ago I was reading an article. This article was about an an ancient mystery was about a mystery that archaeologists have been trying to solve for a hundred years. The mystery of whatever happened to the Minoan civilization. I don't know if you remember learning about the Minoans in world history class back in high school. Maybe you did. Maybe you remember that the Minoans lived on the island of Crete, just a little bit off the shore of Greece. And maybe you remember that thousands of years ago, the Minoans had what archaeologists consider to be the world's first truly advanced civilization. At a time when most of the people in the world were living in in caves and huts, the Minoans were mastering advanced architectural techniques. They were building these huge palaces that had sweeping staircases and and enormous columns. And they were filling their palaces with, with works of art. They painted frescoes and they made delicate works of ceramic pottery. And they had indoor plumbing. The Minoans, more than 3,000 years before the toilet as we know it was invented, had indoor plumbing in their palaces. And they had an advanced economy, too. They had a fleet of ships, and they used these ships to trade with people all the way from Egypt to Spain. And for a 1,000 years, the Minoans had the world's most advanced civilization. And then suddenly, mysteriously, almost, it seems, almost overnight, the Minoans just disappeared. They vanished. About 3,500 years ago, around 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, suddenly archaeologists stopped finding any sign of the Minoan civilization. 
They abandoned their palaces. They stopped making art. They stopped trading with people. It was as if the Minoans disappeared almost overnight. And so for a hundred years now, archaeologists have been trying to discover, trying to unravel this mystery, trying to figure out whatever happened to the Minoan civilization. And about a hundred years ago, archaeologists came up with a, a theory of what happened. Archaeologists about a hundred years ago noticed that not far from the island of Crete, there was another island, the island of Thera. Now, the island of Thera was about 60 miles away from the island of Crete. And the Isle of Thera, it turns out, wasn't really an island. What it was was a dormant volcano. And about 3,500 years ago, about 1,500 years before the birth of Christ, suddenly one day the island of Thera exploded in a massive volcanic eruption. And when the island of Thera exploded, it sent 24 cubic miles of rock flying through the air. Can you even picture what 24 cubic miles of rock looks like? It sent a, a plume of smoke and ash towering 20 miles into the sky. The explosion created a tidal wave that would have been as much as 500 feet tall. That's a wave the size of the Guardian building in downtown Detroit. A hundred years ago, archaeologists noticed that this explosion happened right around the same time that they stopped finding any trace of the Minoan civilization. And so they came up with this theory. They came up with this idea. They said the Minoans must have been wiped out in this huge explosion. They must have been buried under all of this volcanic rubble. They must have been swept away by this enormous tidal wave. And so for a hundred years now, archaeologists have been going to the island of Crete and they've been digging holes and they've been looking for evidence to support this theory. They've been looking for evidence that the Minoans were swept away, that they were wiped out and destroyed by this enormous volcanic eruption. And frustratingly, maddeningly, for a hundred years now, archaeologists have failed to find any evidence that the explosion is what destroyed the Minoan civilization. As a matter of fact, what they have found is just the opposite. In the last hundred years, what archaeologists have learned is that, is that on the day of the eruption, the wind was blowing away from the island of Crete. So that instead of being buried under a layer of volcanic rubble, the, the Minoans were covered in just a, a light dusting of ash, not nearly enough to bury an entire civilization. And they discovered that the worst, the worst of the tidal wave actually went in the other direction. By the time the wave actually reached the island of Crete, it wasn't 500 feet tall. Instead, it was only about, about 30 feet tall. And that's still a really big wave. That wave would have been big enough to destroy all of the Minoan ships where they were sitting in the harbor, but not nearly big enough to sweep away an entire civilization. What archaeologists have discovered in the last hundred years of digging is that the Minoans weren't destroyed by this explosion. Instead, their civilization, their community managed to hang on for decades, maybe even as much as a hundred years after the explosion, before they suddenly mysteriously vanished. And so finally, after a hundred frustrating years of not finding what they were looking for, finally, archaeologists now are ready to embrace an entirely new theory of whatever happened to the Minoan civilization. Now, the new theory, the new explanation the archaeologists have for what happened to the Minoans, it goes like this. One day, the, the Minoans heard an enormous boom. They heard the sound of this tremendous explosion, and they felt the ground beginning to, to shake beneath their feet. 
And then they saw this, this towering plume of smoke and ash rising up on the horizon. And then a few minutes after the explosion, a great big wave came sweeping into their harbor. It, it destroyed all of their ships. It turned their fleet of ships into so many floating matchsticks. And that would have caused the Minoans to be afraid. They would have been terrified. They would have decided that their gods were angry with them. They would have been afraid that their gods were punishing them for some sin that they had committed. The next few days and the next few weeks would have been filled with, with worry and fear. And, and then the Minoans would have discovered that their economy began to collapse. The Minoan economy would have gone into depression because without their ships, they wouldn't have been able to trade. They, they weren't able to keep their economy afloat. And so people started to lose their jobs. People started to worry about how they were going to feed their families. And in those weeks, in that moment of, of worry and fear, instead of banding together, Instead of cooperating to rebuild their fleet of ships, instead of cooperating to rebuild their their economy, what the Minoans did was they began to turn against each other. They became angry. And first they they took it out on the religious leaders. They said to their religious leaders, why why didn't you keep the gods happy? Why didn't you stop this from, from happening to us? And they turned against their political leaders. They said to the leaders of their government, why didn't you see this coming? Why didn't you prepare us better for something like this? And then the Minoans began to turn against each other. They started to turn against their neighbors. They stopped taking care of each other. They stopped making art. Who can feed your neighbor when you're worried about whether there's going to be toilet paper the next time you go to the store? Who's got the time for art when you're looking for a new job and there are no jobs to be had? The Minoans began to harden their hearts and turn into They started turning away from each other. And it was this the archaeologists tell us. It was this the historians tell us that finally did in the Minoan civilization. They were swept away in a a wave of rock and water. They were swept away in a much slower wave, a wave of of cynicism and hopelessness. They were swept away in a wave of, of hardened hearts and anger and worry and fear. They slowly collapsed over the course of 100 years because they stopped trusting in each other. other. They stopped working with one another. This is the new theory about what happened to the the Minoan civilization. And I've got to say, this new theory makes an awful lot of sense, especially after the week that you and I have just lived through. This was a hard week, wasn't it? This was a really difficult week. It seems like we should be getting better at this. It seems like we should, be, we should be learning how to cope with all of the new realities that we're facing each day. It feels like every week should be getting easier than the week before. But instead, this week that we just lived through was in many ways the hardest, most difficult, most exhausting week that we've been through since all of this started. This last week was emotionally exhausting. This last week was spiritually exhausting. What made this last week so difficult? What made this last week so exhausting? It was the fact that we started seeing people turning against one another. Now, on Facebook this week, there was a, a group that was created, and thousands of people here in Michigan joined a, a new Facebook group that was created for the sole purpose of opposing the governor. And then thousands more people joined another Facebook group that was created for the sole purpose of opposing the first Facebook group. 
on social media right now, which is our, our primary way now of connecting with each other and connecting with the world. On social media right now, what we're seeing is that people are, are feeling worried and insecure and afraid. People are frustrated because it feels like there's nothing constructive that we can do right now. And so instead of doing something constructive, what we're seeing is people beginning to be critical and destructive. People are trying to feel better about themselves. They're dealing with their insecurity by tearing other people down and becoming critical of one another. Social media this week was filled with people saying things like, you are not homeschooling your children right. You need to do it the way that I'm doing it. Social media this week was filled with people saying, you're not doing social distancing right. You need to do it the way that I'm doing it. Your face mask isn't as good and effective as as my face mask. Social media this week is filled with insecurity and anger and criticism and worry and fear. And in the middle of all of that, In the middle of all of these other things, there was this protest. Halfway through the week on on Wednesday, hundreds and and maybe even thousands of people went to downtown Lansing and they surrounded Sparrow Hospital and they surrounded the Capitol and they, they honked their horns and they waved signs and they waved flags and they waved guns in the air. And the whole idea was that they were protesting the, the measures that had been put in place to keep us and our communities healthy and safe. And of course, the irony is that in their, in their selfishness and in their recklessness, what all of these people most likely accomplished was making sure that those measures have to continue for extra weeks as this disease is spread through these gatherings of people who are are not taking precautions and then going back to all of the various parts of the state where they came from. It was an astonishing display of, of selfishness and recklessness, and it made us angry. As I was on on social media on Wednesday watching people react, watching people respond to this reckless and selfish protest, what I saw was people becoming angry. I I could hear people's hearts beginning to harden as they watched this this thing that was happening in Lansing. And I heard people, some of them even court streeters, I heard people, saw people saying things, things like, I am so ashamed to be from the state of Michigan right now. I heard people saying things like, I I am losing my faith in humanity right now. I heard people saying things like, I hope that all of these people get sick and I hope that there are no hospital beds when they go to the hospital. I, I could see, I could hear, we could see, we could hear hearts beginning to harden all around our community, all around the state of Michigan right now. And as, as we were watching all of the things that were happening on Wednesday, I couldn't help but think to myself, this is what it must have been like for the Minoans. This is what it must have been like in that moment when they began to turn against each other, to harden their hearts to each other. This is what killed the Minoan civilization. It wasn't the disaster. It was the way that people behaved and lost confidence and stopped having grace for one another after the disaster. That's what destroyed their civilization. And as I was watching everything that happened on Wednesday, I I started to wonder, how do we avoid following in their footsteps? How How can we come through all of this intact with our communities intact, with our churches intact, with our relationships and our lives intact in a way that the Minoans weren't able to do? I believe that the answer to that question is in this morning's scripture reading. So in today's scripture reading, we have a a passage of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Church of the Philippians. 
The Apostle Paul was a a church planter. He was an evangelist. He traveled from place to place, and everywhere he went, he, he shared with people the good news of God's love in Jesus. And he brought people together and he organized them into into churches. The Apostle Paul started a whole lot of churches. But of all the churches that he started, maybe the one that he loved the best, maybe, maybe the church that he was most proud of, was the Church of the Philippians. It was a miracle that the Church of the Philippians ever ever got started in the first place. You know, the city of Philippi was not the kind of place that Paul usually visited. It was not the sort of place where Paul would usually go to start a church. And the Apostle Paul, as he traveled around starting churches, he, he tried to go to places where there was a big Jewish population. He believed that it would be easiest to explain to people who Jesus was and, and what Jesus did if they understood the stories and, and the commandments of the scriptures. And there were hardly any Jews at all in, in the city of Philippi. But one night God spoke to Paul in a dream. And even though Philippi wasn't on Paul's itinerary, God said, Paul, I want you to go to the city of Philippi. I want you to share my love with the Philippians. I want you to start a church there. And so Paul went to Philippi. And it wasn't easy to start a church among the Philippians. Now, the people of Philippi resisted the gospel. The leaders of Philippi resisted, resisted Paul. At one point, Paul and his co-workers were thrown in prison. They almost lost their lives. It was only by a miracle of God that Paul was able to escape from that situation. It was only a miracle of God that, that allowed Paul to escape from Philippi with his life. And it was only by the grace of God that Paul was able to start a church in the city of Philippi. But by the time he left, by the time he rode out of town, Paul had started this beautiful little church. And the thing that made this church so beautiful, one of the things that made this church so so special and so dear to Paul was the fact that this church was led entirely by women. Now, the, the Church of the Philippians met at the home of a woman named Lydia. Lydia was the first person in, in the, the city of Philippi to believe in the gospel, and she had the biggest living room of anybody in the church. And so the Philippians, when they, when they gathered for worship, they would gather in Lydia's living room. And the leaders of the church were, were two women who went by the names of Euodia and, and Syntyche. And Paul loved that this little church was led entirely by women. He, he believed that the Church of the Philippians was a testament to the equality that God gives all believers in Christ Jesus. He was so proud of this church. He loved this church and it broke his heart when he heard that the church of the Philippians was in danger of falling to pieces, not from opposition that came from the community, not because business leaders or government leaders had it out for the church. One day the Apostle Paul received a message that said the church of the Philippians is about to fall apart because of divisions and conflict within the church. And what happened was that Euodia and Syntyche had some kind of a falling out, these two women who were the the leaders of the congregation. And we don't know what their their conflict was about. That that was never written down anywhere. All we know is that the the quarrel between these two women, it, it bubbled and it simmered until finally it boiled over and it spread into all of the church. And the church was in danger of falling to pieces because the Philippians had hardened their hearts to one another. They had turned against each other. 
And when the Apostle Paul heard that the church of the Philippians was was about to fall to pieces, he wanted to go to Philippi. He wanted to calm the storm. He wanted to personally make peace among all of these people who he loved. But the Apostle Paul couldn't go to the city of Philippi because he was in prison again. Paul was chained to a wall. He was unable to leave the, the house where he was under house arrest. We know how that feels, right? And so Paul did the only thing that he could. He wrote a letter to the Philippians. It is it is a beautiful letter. It is one of the greatest of all the Apostle Paul's letters. It's not a long letter. I encourage you this afternoon to to pull out your Bible and take the time to read, to read the entirety of Paul's letter to the Philippians. In this letter, the Apostle Paul begs the Philippians to put aside their differences and, and to be of one mind for the sake of the church and for the sake of the gospel. And he gives them all of this advice and all of this wisdom about how to make peace with one another and how to be reconciled to one another. It's worth your time this afternoon to read the whole of Paul's letter to the Philippians. This morning, we're just going to focus on one passage from the very end of the letter. As the Apostle Paul is is closing, as he's concluding his letter to the Philippians, he one more time speaks to Euodia and Syntyche. He pleads with them to, to be of one mind for the good of the church. And then he says this, he says, stop focusing on the things that divide you. Stop focusing so much energy and attention on the things that make you angry, Paul says. Instead, focus on what is good. Whatever is just, whatever is honorable, whatever is true, whatever is pure, if there is anything that is excellent or worthy of praise, Paul says, focus on these things. Fill your hearts with these things. Fill your minds with these things, Paul says. If you do that, you will discover that the God of peace is with you. There's some wisdom in those words for the church today. And right now, as we're cooped up in our houses, it is so easy to dwell on the things that are making us angry. And it is so easy to, to fixate and to spend all of our time thinking about the, the people in our communities, the people in our state who are being selfish and reckless. And it is so easy to, to stew in that negativity and let our hearts get harder and harder each day. But our faith teaches us, our faith tells us that the selfishness and the recklessness that we see a few hundred people exhibiting, that's not the whole story of what's happening in our community. That's not the whole story of what's happening in our world. And that's not the whole story of what God is doing among us right now. Our faith tells us that God is at work among us right now. Our faith tells us that God's grace is pouring into our communities even now. God's grace is working to bring wholeness and healing and wellness to our communities even right now. And if we can just look beyond the reckless and selfish actions of a few hundred people right now, we will see that a miracle is happening among us right now. A hundred people might have gathered on the on the front lawn of the Capitol on Wednesday and done this, this selfish and reckless thing, but a hundred million people stayed home. A hundred million people are choosing compassion every day right now. A hundred million people are choosing to to make sacrifices and to take precautions and to do the things that will protect our communities and to protect the most vulnerable people among us. And we believe that when a hundred million people, many of whom don't claim to know Jesus, don't claim the name of Jesus, when a hundred million people choose compassion, we believe that that is a sign that God's grace is truly moving among us. We believe that that is a miracle of God. 
And even more than that hundred million people who are are choosing to stay home and who are choosing to to keep our communities safe, there are many more millions of people who are choosing to go into harm's way each day, who are going into harm's way and working around the clock to to build medical devices and life-saving equipment, who are working around the clock and going to dangerous places in order to drive ambulances and to care for the sick and to care for the elderly and to care for the dying. And we believe that their selflessness, we believe that their courageous willingness to go into places where their own lives and health are at risk, that is also a sign that God's grace, God's grace is moving among us right now. God's grace is working in millions of hearts right now. Focus on these things, Paul says. Fill your hearts and your minds with these things. Dwell on what is excellent. Dwell on what is good. Dwell on the compassion that we're seeing breaking out all around us right now. Give thanks for the grace of God. And your hearts will remain tender. And your minds will remain whole. And your communities will survive this crisis. And you will discover that the God of peace is with you. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the grace pouring out all around us. God, we pray that you would make us thankful for the miracle that is happening right now. For the hundred million people who are choosing compassion. For the millions more who are sacrificing and and choosing selflessness. God, we pray that when we're in danger of being swept away by bitterness and cynicism and hopelessness, you would fill our hearts and our minds with these things, that we would discover that you are with us, making peace among us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.